more snow. <laughs> and then wham, wham, wham. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Like, and the first time it happened, it was funny. The second time it happened, a little bit less funny. Third time it happened, it ain't funny at all no more. <laughs> we exceeded the average amount of snowfall we had for an entire winter in one month. <laughs> it's like, day six, yeah, all right. It's like, come, Lord Jesus, come, come, spring, come, right? Amen. My thought process, if it's cold, let it, let there be, I like snow. That's me, but uh, I've had some of the worst driving experiences, actually the worst driving experience I've ever had in the snow. On my way to Birmingham, uh, like the last weekend, I was at a place called Lovelace Recovery House. They have like 400 women there who are coming out of drug addiction and alcoholism, and uh, it's a unique place in that uh, they allow the kids to, to recover with them. So, man, you go into this place, and I've never went in there and not been overwhelmed just crying because of how these ladies are just worshiping the Lord because there's no religion in there. There's no, they're just people who are in love with Jesus who've been set free. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life, and there are kids everywhere, and it's just, and there's three, like, they, it's uh, three stories. Like, the meeting room, the meeting room is filled up with people, and then there's a there's a, a, a here that's filled up with people. Then up here that's filled with balconies. That's the word I look for. Filled up with people, and they're all like looking over the balconies and here. And like anytime I've ever been in there, I'm always like trying to like recover from crying so I can preach because it's just so awesome. And uh, but anyway, on the way down there, Stacy's mom said, "Hey, we think you know they said Bluegrass Parkway is closed." And, you know, if you're going to go to Birmingham, that's kind of the way you go is through Bluegrass Parkway. And I thought, man, it can't be closed. We've, I've got to go preach, you know. And uh, we went, I went down on Saturday, and I put it in Waze um, to try to, because Waze will reroute you, and there was no reroute. So I thought, well, it's not closed. It's fine. And so I, I got out there, and I was on Bluegrass, and it was, initially, it was great. Then I come around this corner after I'd been on the road for maybe like an hour or something like that, and like... It was the slickest driving conditions I've ever been in in my life. And uh, I, I, I mean, it was like I came around the corner and my vehicle went. And, then, and there are people just in ditches everywhere, wrecks everywhere, you know, police and uh, uh, towing trucks. And um, like it, it genuinely, because usually I'm pretty, I'm, I'm not afraid of snow or anything like that. I don't mind driving in snow. Uh, ice you can't drive in. Nobody can drive in ice. But, but it, was, it was intense. And uh, I drove about 20, 25, 30 miles an hour for about 20 miles. And there were cars just everywhere. And I had moments when I was, I had one moment where I really lost control of the vehicle. And I thought I was going to wreck. And, uh, it was, and it was like fishtailing. But thank God it, you know, it came back into play and everything was fine. But it was intense. It was an intense ride down there. And uh, I was like, let the snow be far from us, Lord. <laughs> but I was fine. Once I got on the interstate, everything was good, and it was a great trip, and it was a good time. A bunch of people got saved, and it was really good. But on the way down, it was intense. But I also I always remind myself, at least I'm not on a donkey. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Paul, Paul rode a donkey. You know, when I'm, when I'm at the airport, my flights have been, because when I was in South Dakota, my flights got delayed so many times. Huh? Got canceled. Delayed and then canceled. That in order to get home, I had to buy two one-way tickets to get home. Because if not, they were going to just keep me there. 
for day, days, you know, and because they don't care. I mean, once they got your money, they'll they'll just re, you know they'll just cancel it as much as they want. Which I understand you want to be safe, but I bought two two one way tickets to get home, and uh, that was of course snow related as well. So, but I was I'm not on a donkey, amen, and I'm, I don't have to worry about robbers on the road with donkey, you know, on riding the donkey. So I always encourage myself. These are first world problems. So, but anyway, it was a good trip, and uh, I was thankful. Thankful, but I'm definitely thankful to be home. So. Uh, I'm really. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter ten. I'm really excited about what I'm going to speak on today. Kiddos are going to go upstairs with Angie. I'm sorry. Amen. Um, we, uh, you know, you know, when when you when you proclaim the gospel, and you uh, <laughs> proclaim the finished work, I, what I feel like is going to happen today is um, you're going to learn some things yourself. For you, but you're, you're also going to learn how to defend the gospel better for people who don't understand it. I mean, you know, not everyone understands the gospel and the finished work of the cross, right? And um, it's going to give you some understanding on, on how to, to talk to people about it uh, because we're just going to go really in deep into a, a specific area where I've never taken an entire sermon and preached on I've alluded to this. I've alluded to this pretty much every time I preach the gospel so that there's not any type of uh, misunderstanding. Um, but when the gospel is, is preached, how many know that people can misunderstand what you're being, what's being said? And um, if it happened, you know, I, I dare say that Paul was probably a, a, you know, he was probably a great preacher, right? Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And yet even when he preached the gospel, uh, people did not understand what he was saying, and they would make an accusation against Paul, and their accusation was this, Paul saying, let us do evil that good may come. And what, what basically what they thought Paul was saying, because he preached the finished work of the cross so strong, and he preached the, the forgiveness so strong, that they, they, they thought Paul was giving people a license to sin, and that when they sinned, that good would come. Because Paul preached grace so strong. Paul said that, uh, you know, uh, that, that where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Paul never pulled back on that. Uh, he never watered it down. He always made the statement, no matter how much sin happens, there's more grace than there is sin. And so in, in, when, you, when the gospel's preached properly, um, you know, we, we make much of Jesus and we make much of the cross but in the process of that, how I many you know people can misunderstand what you're saying? And I would say there could be even more misunderstandings in the time that we're living in because so many things are communicated through sound bites. How I many you know there's a lot of communication through like Facebook and social media and stuff like that? I can't preach a whole sermon in one statement. Any statement that someone makes on Facebook or social media, it can be picked apart because you don't have enough time to speak on it for an hour. You're making one statement. You follow me? And so, you know, we live in a culture filled with sound bites. We live in a culture where the videos have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, now what's a popular video? You know, it's, it's a TikTok video. You know, it's just a few, just like 30 seconds or something like that. And so people's appetites for things to happen right now and just get a dose of something is increased. And so in the process of that, we kind of have this sound bite generation where, how I many you know you could take one thing that I speak in a sermon and cut it out and plug it in and people could totally misunderstand it? How I many you know it happens, uh, you know, how I many you know the media does stuff like that all the time? How I many you know you don't get the full story? You know, you get a piece of the story and in getting a piece of the story, you're not really going to understand what's going on. And so 
even in Paul's time when they didn't, you know, they obviously didn't have this. When Paul would speak, he would, he would lay out the entire gospel. They still misunderstood his message, you know, so much so that Peter would say, you know, uh, there, you know, it, 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 I believe it was, I believe it's 2 Peter, where he says, you know, Paul says some things which are hard to be understood. Many wrestle with these things unto their own demise. How I many you know if people don't really understand what grace is and they don't have a, a, a heart understanding of it, how I many you know they can look at it like it's a pass for sin, right? And, um, and, 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 and there's nowhere in the true preaching of the gospel where God, God gives no passes for sin. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? I mean, Jesus Christ, if you want to take a look at what, at what forgiveness of sin looks like, look at, the, look at the passion. Look at the passion of the Christ. Look at, look at that movie, right? I mean, oh, Jesus, I mean, oh, there's nothing cheap about grace. I mean, it was extraordinarily expensive. It cost God everything. Um, you know, more expensive than silver, diamonds, and gold, more expensive than anything. It was the blood of his son. And so it, this redemption is not a cheap redemption. It's an, ex, it, it's an expensive redemption, and, and sin is costly. And so um, there's nothing cheap about the grace of God. But without a, a, a deeper understanding of it and really functioning in it, how I many of you know the more you understand the grace of God, the more it's going to set you free from the dominion of sin? That's what it says in Scripture, Romans 6.14, right? It says that um, when you're not under the law, you're under grace. Sin's not going to have dominion over you. So grace is going to set you free from the dominion of sin, and it's going to cause your actions uh, to become holy unto the Lord. You're going to be sanctified and set apart. You're going to be different. I mean, you know, we need to be different in the world, right? And I'm not talking about just necessarily the way we dress, the way we look, or how long our hair is. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness. I'm talking about the character of God in these earthen vessels, right? That's what the true gospel produces. But when Paul preached this gospel, um, it, it many times was misunderstood, and people say, hey, this guy, he's against the law. You know, he's, he's, he's anti-legalism. He's saying we don't have to be circumcised. He's saying we don't have to do this. You know, and Paul, he's just saying, let's do evil that good may come, right? So people who don't understand the gospel and who are getting sound bites of it, looking on the outside in, that is the accusation that they will make. How many of you know the enemy will drum up those accusations as much as he can because he doesn't want people encountering God's grace and actually getting set free? Can I get an amen? Yeah. And, and so, how I many you know legalism does a lot of damage towards people? How I many it's abusive and it hurts people and it twists their understanding of God? So the enemy is okay with the name of God. Uh, he's done some of his best work in the name of God. But he's not okay with people having an encounter with Jesus Christ, filled with grace and truth, because that's when people actually receive freedom. And so the enemy loves legalism. He loves it. Why? Because it hurts people. It destroys people. Some of the greatest wounds I've ever experienced in my life was in legalism. And so, uh, so the enemy is going to try uh, to make grace, the grace of God and the gospel, look uh, scandalous, look um, like it, it, you know, just put a bunch of, um, of slander around it. So much so that Paul would make a statement in Romans 1, 15, 16, 17. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? The enemy wants to make people ashamed of this message for the purpose of trying to relegate it and put it in the back corner of the room. Uh, why? Because it's actually what brings freedom. And so uh, if people get a soundbite of this and they don't understand it, they're going to make an accusation. Grace is a license to sin. They're going to say all of these things. And that is not true. And so you as a believer, you're going to have to, under, if you're going to really embrace the gospel, 
you're going to have moments in your life when you're called to defend it. You're going to have moments, in, and that's what apologetics is. It's, it's defending. It's a logical presentation of truth, uh, defending it and laying it out as, as it truly is. Now, um, now, not all, how many of you know you're not called to constantly defend it against every single person that makes an accusation against it? Can I get an amen? Because if you did that, that's all you'd ever do. You know, and there, there's a part of my life where I'm just like, you know what? I am enjoying the gospel. Um, I'm enjoying Jesus. And, and there are people who understand it. There are people who don't. But as for me and my house, we will live under a banner of love and forgiveness. <laughs> I know what it's done for me. I know what it's done for my relationships. I know the fruit that has come of it. And whether people understand it or not, I'm going to enjoy it. But there are moments of time where God's going to call you into a scenario just like Jesus with Nicodemus. How many of you know Jesus took time with Nicodemus and taught him? How many of you know John 3.16 came out of that encounter with Nicodemus? How many of you know Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus was doing? But he came by night and asked some questions. And there are going to be some people who are going to come into your life and they're going to ask some questions concerning this gospel and how many know we need to have the ability to, to help them and teach them? How many know name-calling doesn't, doesn't change anything? I mean, no, anger and name-calling doesn't change anything. But, but if, you'll, if you, you can present the truth in such a way that it's going to help people arrive to the reality of the freedom that's presented in the gospel. So that's what I want to empower you to do. And plus, I also just want to talk about these things so you'll have personal understanding as well. And so we're going to take a day... And we're going to talk about sin and grace in the New Covenant. And, you know, the title of the message is Sinning Under Grace, which is a pretty intense title, right? But um, we need to, I do think we need to talk about these things. Now, I allude to these things all the time when I preach, but I've never taken an entire message and just attributed it to this. But I really felt strongly led by the Lord to do that. So Hebrews chapter 10, and let's cover the reality of the gospel first. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11 it says, every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. How many of the old covenant could not take sin away, right? Jesus is the one that takes sin away. John spoke, as he saw Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? How many of the cross was a success? Can I get an amen? Jesus did a good job on the cross. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the reality is, is the cross is a success, and if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are abiding in a state of forgiveness. You are living in a state of continual forgiveness and redemption. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus uh, old things have passed away, all things have become new. How I many know oh, you were crucified with Christ, and now you have a new identity, now you have a new beginning. How I many know oh, now you have a new nature? Can I get an amen? How I many know oh, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus? You have a brand new nature. And this new nature that has been given to you, how I many you know oh, it's not a sin nature? This is a, this is a nature that's made of the very fabric of the righteousness of God himself. He that knew no sin became sin. Do y'all need to say something to me? Is everything cool? Is everything cool? What's up? Sound too loud? No, it's, there's a slot. When you're, when you're over the pulpit, yeah. it's not, your mic's fine. Uh -huh. Your voice is bouncing off 
sorry to interrupt you. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, your voice is bouncing off the glass, uh -huh. and the mic's picking it up, and it's causing a slight reverb. Okay, sorry. cool. I'll step back a second. Cool, thank you. And so, made of this very same fabric of God's righteousness. Can you get an amen? He that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him, right? I mean, they were always trying to be made right in the Old Testament. They could never do it. Blood of bulls and goats had to spill. But now under the New Testament, as a result of you stepping into Christ, you've been made the righteousness of God. You're not trying to get it. You're not trying to attain it. You got it. Amen. And you got it when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. You don't come to church to punch your righteousness card. Amen. To make sure that you're right with God. All you guys that are at home watching, sitting on your couch, you, if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're the righteousness of God, and you're just as righteous as the people that are in here. Can I get an amen? amen? And so you're not trying to get it. You're not trying to attain it. You're not trying to accomplish it. It's a gift. It's been given. It's powerful. It's the best news on earth. It's the gospel, right? And so it's a done deal. And, I, we, and we talk a lot about that uh, in my ministry. It's what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the gospel. We talk a lot about that in this church. So now let's turn to Romans chapter 6 and let's start the cycle. You know, we're kind of on the same page. Let's start to start the cycle into what I've been talking about here. You know, uh, and, you know Paul addressed these things. Romans chapter 6 is, is probably the best dissertation on understanding the dynamics of sin in the new covenant. And uh, at one point during this sermon, we're going to actually, uh, we'll go through that thing line upon line. But initially, we're, we're just going to lay the groundwork for some things. So Paul here, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now let's stop here for just a moment and let's make something a reality. Every time you sin, grace abounds. Every single time. There's never a time where sin happens where grace doesn't abound towards a believer. What does that mean? That means no matter how much you fall, no matter how deep the ditch is that you fall in, the grace of God is going to reach down into that ditch, remind you who you are, take you by the hand, and pull you back up. Okay, get an amen. Set you in feet. He's never going to stop. So Paul never changes the reality of that truth and the statement that he made. In that statement, you can't pull back from that. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What he's saying is, as long as sin happens, grace abounds. Why? God's always going to bring you home. He's always going to bring back your identity. And you're never going to be able to out-sin the cross. It's too powerful. It's too big. It's too awesome. It's arrogant to think that you could out-sin the cross. So, so I, just had to, I just have to nail that to the wall. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is what he says. Certainly not. He's saying like, I know that you're a forgiven person. I know that you're under grace, but I say to you, certainly not should you continue in sin. Can I get an amen? How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? So Paul and no person that genuinely preaches the true gospel will encourage sin or immorality. Can I get an amen? amen. That's never going to change. That's the truth. I mean, you know, right's right and wrong's wrong. Can I get an amen? Right here is Scripture, right? And uh, the grace of God does not change the reality of right and wrong. And anyone who presents the message in a way where it changes right and wrong and or tries to change right and wrong and, and, and presents it in a licentious fashion, I mean, you know, that's not grace, 
Talks about it in the book of Jude, right? It's not. You, you, there's no license to sin in this thing, right? And so he, so he says, how shall he die to sin live any longer in it? So Paul's not advocating sin. I'm not advocating sin. No genuine real preacher of the gospel would advocate sin. The preaching of the gospel is for the purpose of setting people free from sin, not giving them a pass to continue in a lifestyle of sin. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, Galatians chapter 6, please. And like I said, I allude to this stuff all the time when I'm <laughs> preaching because it's important to you so that people will understand it and they won't get confused, but I've never taken an entire message and just preached on it. Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 7 here, he says, um, this, and this is talking about the ramifications of sin. It says, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. A lot of people will use that for like offering and stuff like that, but, and, and maybe you could use it somewhat, but I don't think that's specifically what it's talking about. It says, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What does that mean? That means that your decisions are going to have impact on the quality of your life. If I go home tonight and I watch horror movies for eight hours, right? And now, how many know I'm forgiven the whole time, before and after? Can I get an amen? How many on the righteousness of God the whole time, before and after, right? I'm, I'm a child of God, and those things are solidified. But how many know the, le and, and you know, I'm not trying to just throw, you know, a scary movie under the bus or whatever. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's sin to watch scary movies or anything. But I'm saying that, like, if I did that, it's going to impact my life. How many of it's going to bring fear in? Just like if someone watched pornography for eight hours. How many know it's going, to, it's going to change the way you see people? It's going to change the way you think. It's going to bring corruption, right? And so, um, or if someone, you know, uh, spends all their time being angry or someone spends all their time sleeping or being lazy or whatever, how many know that, that it... If I'm sowing to my flesh, how many of you know there's a flesh? And man, if you encourage that thing and you give it room, you can't trust your flesh. Your flesh is not trustworthy. It's not your identity. It's not who you are, but it's still here according to Romans chapter 7. And so, but how many of you know if you took those same eight hours and you read scripture for eight hours, how many of you know you're going to come out feeling life? Can I get an amen? Just like today, us coming together as the, as the body of Christ. How I many you know you're going to walk out of this place with a greater sense of peace and well-being as a product of being here? Right? Because you're, you're feeding on life. And so um, your decisions are going to have impact on your life. Now, does it change your identity? Does it change your forgiveness? And it doesn't change your righteousness. How I many you know the fact that the prodigal son went out to the pig pen did not mean that it changed who he was? How many you know in the pig pen he was a son of God? With the robe, with the robe on his shoulders, he was, a, he, was a, he was a son of the Father. Right? How many know his identity didn't change? But how many know his quality of life was different running from his father than being with his father? How many know he got tired of being in the pig pen? Amen. How many know sin's a hard life? And it kills. It brings death. Now, turn to James chapter 1, please. And I just want to talk about this just for here for just a moment there are consequences for sin even under grace now those consequences they don't come from god sin god does not punish you for sin it's really important to understand this why because sin has already been punished on the body of jesus christ okay get an amen you know that one of the things that i ministered um at, at the women's recovery 
place there in Birmingham is I said, you know, there's something called double jeopardy. And they can all relate to this. And they understood this. You can't be punished for, in our law system. You can't be punished for the same crime twice. If you did your time, they can't repunish you again. How many of you know Jesus did your time? Jesus took the punishment of all your sins. Jesus took all sin upon you, on him, on himself at the cross. And so now, God's not going to punish you for sin. And when bad things happen as a result of sin, those bad things are not God's punishment. 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 Not God's punishment. But what they can be is the product of sowing to your flesh and having bad and making bad decisions, getting bad results. If I, on my ride home today, if I'm riding with my wife and I yell at my wife, amen, how many know that the, 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 the quality of my day has just changed? <laughs> Can I get an oh me? Jesus still loved me, but I might see him sooner. <laughs> you know? And so there's going to be repercussions for me doing something like that, right? There's going to be repercussions for bad decisions. That does not change under the New Testament. There are still repercussions. Now, the beauty of it is, is that God will meet you where you're at. God will rescue you even from your bad decisions. Can I get an amen? Good news. But when bad things happen as a result of failure, they're not punishment from God. God said, you make your bed in hell, I'll lie down with you. God's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's always going to be there for you. And you don't have anybody in your life that's more for you than God is. Don't change. But sin will jack you up. It'll jack up a believer just like it jacks up an unbeliever. James chapter 1 and verse 12. Yes, there. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, why would you endure temptation? Why would you endure it? Why not just go ahead and give in to temptation since you're under grace? Because sin brings death. And that's why you resist temptation when it comes. How do you resist it? The best way to resist temptation is your identity. <coughs> I'm a son of God. I'm not a drug addict. I'm a child of God. I'm not an angry person. I'm a child of God. I'm not a lustful person. I'm a child of God. I'm not a liar. Can I get an Amen. Your identity is the number one thing that's going to help you resist sin, right? Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when his desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings... Fourth, death. Sin's got death in it. It just does. Just like apple has apple seeds in it, sin's got death. So sin is dangerous and it's destructive and it'll mess people up. Believers, non-believers, it's evil. Why? It's not the way God designed things to operate. It's a step outside of life. Word for sin is the word harmatia and it means to miss the mark. It's something outside of life, right? If I went and took a gallon of milk out of the fridge and poured it in my car, how many know my car's not going to drive good? Because my car was not designed to run on milk. Human beings were not designed to run on sin. God has shown us the path of life. He's shown us what's right. He's shown us what's wrong. He said, hey, choose life. Don't choose, don't choose death. Now, <clears throat> so that being said, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please. So Paul said, 
don't, don't sin that grace may abound. I'm not saying that you should do that. And, he's all, and, and the scripture declares that sin is, it brings forth death. It's not good, it's bad, right? Amen. Now, the legalists understand that as well. They just don't understand how to get out of it. Legalism just tries to hide sin behind a facade of self-righteousness yeah, yeah. and many times yeah. accusation and condemnation. The best place to hide is behind a pointed finger. If I, if I point out what's wrong with you, it's easy to hide what's wrong with me. Yeah. And so anytime you see hardcore legalism, there's a ton of sin happening. Yeah. Just yeah. nobody sees yeah. it. I'm not kidding. I'm totally serious. Yeah. Anytime you see a ton of legalism, why? Because the strength of sin is the law. Yeah. I mean, you see all these different groups that operate in legalism and ba- you know, all these different, you know, I'm not, I don't want to call any group out. I just don't want to do that. But there's tons of sin going on. Why? Because legalism's happening. But it's all hidden, right? Anyway. And so now let's, 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 let's switch here. and let's, Paul is addressing people in the Corinthian church. This Corinthian church is a great place to talk about sin. They, they had a lot of sin in the Corinthian church. They were struggling. They had some, some challenges. Um, they had some wonderful things that were happening. The gifts of the Spirit were flowing. The, the power of God was there. But, but they were struggling with some, some immorality issues. And we get an opportunity to see how to handle immorality in the New Testament in the way Paul handles it. What Paul doesn't do is say, ah, they're under grace, it's all good. That's not the way he handles it, right? How I many you know he's about to address something head on and correct it, right? Because he knows that uh, it's bringing death. And so, and he does. He, he addresses it and he doesn't mince words with it and he comes after it. But what I also want to say is he starts the letter, 1 Corinthians, is where we're, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going. But he starts the letter addressing them as saints. Here they are. They're making mistakes. There's sin happening. But he does not pull back their identity. Need amen on that. He's addressing children of God. He's not saying they're going to fall out of their position of children of God. They're not going to fall out of their righteousness, right? He addresses them as saints, and he tells them, Know ye not, you're the temple of the living God. Can't get an amen. He don't pull back, but he also doesn't let it roll either. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. He's saying, y'all doing some weird stuff, and y'all doing something so weird the Gentiles ain't even doing it. <laughs> I think that's funny. And then he says, that a man has his father's wife. And then, then he addresses this, and he addresses this the entire time because their attitude towards this sin is a real issue. He says, you are puffed up and have not mourned. What's happening? These guys are proud that they're not doing anything about it. You're puffed up. How many of puffed up means pride? And have not rather mourned. Why? They're not recognizing that what's happening is wrong and it needs to be changed. How many of y'all that that can happen in grace circles? Well, we're under grace. It's all good. No, it's not. Right's right and wrong's wrong. And I'm not talking about these little gray areas of, you know, all the gray areas. You know, what movie you you watch? What what you know you you watching PG? You watching you know uh, R? What kind of movie you watching? What you watch? You know, blah blah blah. Are you drinking wine? Are you not drinking wine? I'm not talking about all the stuff that's not directly at Scripture, but I'm talking about the stuff that's in the book that says, "Yo, that's wrong. We don't do that," right? And so. He says, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. 
For indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already judged. Paul's judging this thing as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's saying, look, man, y'all got to get, if this dude don't repent, he got to leave. That's what, the, that's what he's saying. Now, he, once again, he never takes away the guy's salvation. He never says the guy's not saved. He's just saying he, his flesh got to... How I many you know there's an element of life where you learn through hard knocks? Not the fun way, but we've, how I many you know we've all learned lessons there? And man, and, and those lessons, if, if received, are lasting lessons. Praise God. But, and so then he goes on to say, he says, your glorying is not good. <clears throat> Once again, they're kind of in pride about this thing. We got the gifts flowing. We got the, we got, we got the power of God in our, in our fellowship. And, and they're kind of like glory. Why? Because how many know that sin's not going to stop the grace of God? How many know God's still going to move even in the presence of sin? If God stopped moving in the presence of sin, God would never move. Can I get an oh me? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many know that when Jesus is doing all of his miracles in, in the early church, how many know what nobody saved? And they were all sinners. And none of them were righteous. But yet the power of God still came and healed him. And we've got this erroneous attitude that if we get all the sin out, then the power of God's going to fall. It don't work like that. No place where revival broke out was in a place where there was no sin. It's just never been that way. It just isn't, it's just not how God rolls. <clears throat> God said, I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care how messed up you are. I'm going to come save you. Right? So they got great things happening in this church, but they got some things that are messed up. <clears throat> he said, your glorying's not good. And he goes on to say, I'm just going to read through this. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not meet with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetousness or extortioners or idolater. Since then, you would not need, since then, you would need to go out of the world. He's saying, I'm not talking about people that aren't saved that are immoral. You're called to minister to those people. He said, I'm talking about the people that are saved and are immoral. You got to correct that. Everybody understand that? He says, But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who also are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? So what he's saying is that, you know, the issue of this sin is not an issue for the people that are of the world. Otherwise, you'd have to remove yourself from the world. And how many know a portion of the church tries to do that? How many you know you're called to the world? Amen. You're called to be the light in the darkness, right? There's nothing, that's what we're called to do. But he's addressing it in the church, and so he brings forth correction, right? But it's beautiful because they administer correction, and the guy repents. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and, and we see now Paul's writing them again, and he's saying, all right, you corrected it, good job. Bring him back. Love on him. Restore him. And we'll eventually, if we give far enough, we're going to take a look at it. <clears throat> it takes a deep level 
of spirituality to restore someone who's fallen in sin. You've got to be a spiritually mature person to do that, but it's the calling of the body of Christ. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're not called to kill our wounded. We're called to restore our wounded. Can I get an amen? And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's a big deal, and we need to learn how to do it because uh, the battlefield is strong and the fight is big, and there are people falling all the time on the battlefield, and God loves those people that have fallen. He wants to restore them. <clears throat> Paul doesn't hate this guy who's in sin. God doesn't hate this guy who's in sin, but God has a better life for him. And so God ministers correction through the church for the purpose of restoring this young man to the fullness of what God has for him. And so now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's, he's giving forth the restoration. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. How many know correction is love? But if anyone has caused grief, he has, he has not grieved me, but, but, but you. For... But if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not, not to be too severe. This punishment was inflicted by the majority, which is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought to rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love towards him. Right? And, and this is kind of where we've messed up in the body of Christ. We're all about, we'll correct it, but, God, but like the dude said, look, it's wrong, I'm sorry. Really, the primary thing here that's corrected is pride. The issue is pride because they were trying to act like that it was okay what they were doing. And so now he's like, man, affirm your love to him. Bring this guy back to the fold. How many of y'all God still loves this guy? How many of y'all did the cross was enough for this guy? Can you get an amen? amen. And so the, the saints need to join in unison with voices of grace and love to restore uh, because because it's 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 been accepted. Can I get an amen? You know when I'm when I'm disciplining you know my children and when I'm when I'm when I'm you know letting them know that what they're doing is wrong and, and I have you know put put somebody in time out or something like that. Once they've received it and acknowledged it and you know and 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 recognize that they've done something wrong and apologize for it. Now how you know now it's my job as a dad to make sure they know that it's not hanging over them and it's not. And, it's, and, and I love them the same, I see them the same, my heart towards them is the same, and I need to affirm my love towards them so that they're not overwhelmed with too much sorrow. Because the last thing you want a child to do is default over into a place of condemnation. You don't need that, because how I many know condemnation just breeds more sin? So, so I want to affirm my love. Well, they're doing the same thing to this guy. They're like, hey man, it's all good, come home, you're in the house, let's go. You know, the past is the past, can I get an amen, right? That's how God operates, right? Now, turn to Romans chapter 6, please, and we'll start to work through this line upon line. And what I'm really trying to do is I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I'm just, I really want to teach on this, and <clears throat> I want you to understand it, and not just be something that's alluded to during a sermon, but you have a deep understanding in it so that you know how to handle it for yourself, but then you also know how to, to, to help other people as well. But Romans chapter 6, and this is really kind of the place where uh, sin and, and, and the New Covenant kind of uh, um, um, are, are really talked about and addressed. Because how many know the way sin was handled in the Old Covenant is totally different than the way it's handled in the New Covenant, right? Totally different. So we need to know how to do it. We need to know how to handle it. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. We talked about this earlier, but now we're going to work through line upon line. How many know the best way you can study scriptures in context, right? <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. 
How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in newness of life. How many know our life is supposed to be different as believers than it was before, right? For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Now here's the thing. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, who you were was crucified on the cross with him, and you are now dead to sin, okay? You, you, what will really help you under, give some understanding of this is you're a triune being just like God is. I mean, he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How I many of you are spirit, soul, and body, right? Your, 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 your body is what you, know, your, what you can see here. It's what, what houses your soul and your spirit. Your spirit is what has been born again. Your spirit is, is what has been joined to the Lord as one spirit. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. You know, that your whole spirit, soul, and body would be sanctified unto the Lord. But this right, your spirit, the work of your spirit is finished once you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is where you're right with God, right? You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the down payment of your redemption. How many of there's going to come a time when your body's redeemed? Amen. No more aches, no more pains, no more aging. Uh, none of those things <clears throat> will have that same resurrected body that Jesus had, right? But, but this mind of yours is in the process of redemption, right? I mean, that's why we've come together. One of the reasons we've come together today is to experience some redemption, some soteria, some salvation for our minds through the washing of the water of the Word. I mean, you know, God says, I need you to change the way you think. I need you to bring your ways up to my ways. I need you to see things the way that you see, that, that I see things. And how I many of you, your quality of life is going to be greatly impacted by your thoughts and the way you see. And so your soul still is in the process of being redeemed. Your soul's in the process of being sanctified. <clears throat> how many of you know your behavior is the same, right? I, I'm, I walk differently now than I did 20 years ago, right? I, I, I walk more in the fruit of the Spirit now than I did 20 years ago, right? And, and so there, there's an element. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm awakening to righteousness. I'm finding out who I am. It's changing my behavior. It's changing who I am, right? And so, but that, that is a process. But your spirit is right with God, right? Sin can't touch your spirit. Your spirit's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. But how many of you, know, you can still sin with your hands, with your feet, and with your mind, okay? That is, that is a part of, of living on earth, right? Have you ever seen anybody get saved and never sin again? We just haven't seen that, have we? We, some people try to pretend like that happens, but it's bogus. <clears throat> Just don't happen. I mean, don't happen at all. And, uh, you, know, you know, my story of redemption is, you know, I, I, when I got saved, I didn't, I mean, I got born again, but I rolled into church in chains. I rolled out of church in chains. It took, there are some addictions that took time to get off of my life. Amen? Some of them years to get off, off of my life. It took me years to get set free from pornography. You know, that was not something that happened immediately. That, I, I didn't get set free from pornography until I started hearing grace, really. And I got set free from drug addiction and all that type of stuff when I was still under legalism. But there were some other things I didn't get set free from until, until later. And I mean, oh, God will walk with you. Can I get an amen? And he'll walk with you, and he'll walk you through some stuff, and he'll help you. And, 
You slip up and fall back into something, then uh, how many of God will rescue you and he'll do it over and over again. And he's never going to be unfaithful to you uh, because you slipped up and made a mistake, right? <clears throat> but this, this thing, it says the body of sin might be done away with is, is the fact that you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. But sin can still happen in the flesh, in the mind, right? But he goes on to say, and I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit so we can get, a little, we can get some context it says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So the ultimate goal here <clears throat> is that sin would not be your taskmaster and lord over you and tell you what to do. I mean, oh, God has a life of freedom for you. Hallelujah. Freedom from sin, right? That's what, that's what the truth does. That's what it comes to bring. How I many you know we are in the process of displaying the glorious liberty of the children of God in the earth? Amen? All creation groaning and travailing to see this freedom that's been given to us. A part of the demonstration of this freedom is removing the dominion of sin off of somebody's life so that they walk free from it. Amen? It says, For if, for if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves or realize yourselves or are set to your account, understand, been set to your account, yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, in your spirit, you're dead to sin. It can't touch you. Just like when Jesus said, the enemy comes, but he has nothing in me. These things are made really plain in the book of 1 John. And if we have time, we'll get there. I don't know if we'll have time or not. But, but so you're dead to sin here, right? But then it goes on, this very next verse, and says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its less. I mean, that's a choice, right? Now, nothing that I'm saying here is done in your own strength. Anything, any, the presentation of the gospel is not a presentation of your strength, how many of you know, it's a presentation of Jesus as your Savior? How many of you know, Jesus is going to save you from sin reigning in your body? But how many of you know if someone has fallen on the ground, they have to consent to being picked up? Like if someone's on the ground, this is always the example that I give, and they have an outstretched hand, how many of you know as I'm reaching out, they got to reach up and grab? And how many of you know that your, your part of the salvation process is receiving? They which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. How I many of you know someone has to receive help? So I'm not encouraging you by any stretch of the means to do anything in your own strength. Legalism always places you in your own strength, and that's why you fail. <clears throat> because it, it, it says it actually incites your flesh and your own self-will to accomplish what God already accomplished through the cross. So I'm not doing that. But I am saying, how I many you know it's a choice to resist temptation? You must choose to do it, right? It's a choice. <clears throat> no one will make you resist, him, resist temptation. It's a choice. And that's why it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. How many of your members, your body, how many of these hands are made for blessing, not for sin? This mind is made for blessing, not for sin. This mouth, these eyes, these ears. They're, they're made to be instruments that are yielded to God's grace 
and you become a slave of righteousness, and, and you're no longer a slave of sin. And so um, it says, read again, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under condemnation, you are under forgiveness. Everybody tracking me here? And it says, um, and then he says this, and I love this. He says, what then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? He reiterates what he started the chapter with. And he says the same thing. Certainly not. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or, or obedience leading to righteousness? I mean, this goes back to Galatians 6, 7. He that sows to the flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption or death. <clears throat> he that sows to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I mean, you know, you have a decision on who you're going to obey, right? Obey your flesh, get not good results. Obey your spirit, get good results, right? How I many you know, that is really what the spirit-led life is all about. How I many your flesh want to do dumb stuff, right? It does. Like, your flesh want to do dumb stuff. And, 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 and while you're here, now your flesh is not you, it's not your identity, but it's with you. And I love this analogy, but I mean, you know, if I have a splinter in my finger, I'm not made of wood, but wood is in me. So you have a flesh, but it's not your identity. You have a new identity in Christ Jesus, but it's now your decision what you're going to yield to. And, and a great example of this, I'll give, I was, uh, I was out driving and uh, I was trying to keep the kids asleep, you know, as a dad, putting kids asleep is a big deal. Because you're you're not good at it, you know, and so Stacy can she can just touch the children and they'll fall asleep, you know what I'm saying? But like with Dad, like we're gonna have to ride around in the car, and we're gonna have we're gonna have to, you know what I'm saying? Like we're gonna get them tired, ride around the car. So kids are asleep in the back. So I'm like, I'm driving with kids asleep, and so now the kids must stay asleep, <clears throat> and so like. You know, you, you don't stop and start. Suddenly, you try to be smooth. You try to find an open road. Why? Because kids sleep. Sleeping kids make a better life for everyone. Kid had a good nap. Everybody's happy. And so I'm driving through downtown Versailles, where I live, and I'm trying. And I'm driving pretty slow. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just chilling. Why? Because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to keep the kids asleep. Well, there's a dude behind me. He's mad. And he's beeping at me. And he's and he's and he's riding my butt. Yeah, and then and then he then he passes me angrily in a no passing zone. Now, I have some decisions to make here. My flesh says just follow him and beat him up. <laughs> you know, I mean your flesh is crazy, right? And and my spirit, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> it was the voice of my spirit was low. Voice of my flesh was high. I was really mad at this dude, right? Because, uh, because not only is he messing with me, he's messing with my kids. He's not really messing with my kids. But in my mind, in the moment, that's how I feel, right? And so I am looking for an opportunity to communicate to him. <laughs> and so he's in front of me, and it pull, he pulls over to, to this. The, it, it's a, I get to pull up right next to him. So I have an opportunity, right? 
Now, what am I going to do here? Am I going to listen to my spirit? Am I going to operate in the flesh with my Caleb bumper sticker on the back of my car and my fish and all that? I don't have any of that on my car, but anyway. So I pull up next to him right now. I have a decision to make. Now, how many know if I sow to the flesh in this moment, it's going to, reap, it's going to bring forth more corruption? How many know if I get angry and I let my anger be expressed, it's going to produce more anger? And then it's going to be, how many know the more you give in to the flesh, the harder it is to stop it? How many know that old man, that old person gets stronger and stronger and stronger? Not literally, but how many know your flesh is always trying to come up out of the coffin even though it's dead? And so, you know, I got a decision to make. And I had about a, a year before that or whatever where I really failed in this area between the pandemic, the crazy media, and then my dog. I had a season of being mad. And it wasn't good for me or anybody around me, right? I don't, ever, I don't want to go back to that place again, right? I won't stay offended. I don't want to be mad. I want to be happy. I, how many old peace is the default setting of Christians? So anyway, so I pulled up next to the dude. I wanted to tell him he was number one, but I didn't. I gave him a thumbs up, but I, but I, but I looked into his eyes. <laughs> I just let him know that I know. I don't know what I was doing, really. But I, 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 didn't, act, I didn't do anything extremely stupid, but I, 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 what I did was I nipped my flesh, and, and, and the, I nipped it. Like, I stopped it from happening. I just gave him, I rolled my window and gave him a thumbs up. He looked confused. He didn't know what was going on because he thought I was going to do something else, but I didn't do that. And then I kept going. Now, here's the thing. How many know, as I nipped that flesh, how many know flesh starts to subside? And I start to sow in the Spirit. And I start praying in the Spirit, and I start speaking the Word. Why? Because I don't need to be riding around in the car with my kids mad. It ain't good for me. It's not good for them. I need to choose life here in this moment, right? <clears throat> how many know, I could have chosen sin. Amen. And I didn't. I resisted the temptation to do it. Now, story doesn't always end that like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, don't think, oh, Jeremiah never sins. No, man. I've, if y'all seen how many Nutter Butters I've been eating here lately, y'all would just you'd be astonished. You'd be totally astonished, man. We won't even talk about it. But anyway, yeah, and ice cream. Yeah, that's, yeah. I've been making homemade ice cream and, you know, just been, been anyway, going to town. I mean, it's a good thing I work out. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. But I don't always, I'm not, you know, make mistakes. But my, my point being here is I have, you have a decision who you're going to yield to. You're going to yield to your flesh, you're going to yield to your spirit. The more you yield to your flesh, the easier it gets to, to, to yield to your flesh. And the harder it is to hear the, the, the voice of the spirit telling you no. How many of the spirit of God will leave you alone after a while? Be like, all right. Go ahead. Talks about it in Proverbs. Say, go ahead. But you're not going to like the results. And, and, um, and then, you know, the next stop is, is really is uh, failure, corruption, death, whatever. I don't mean like literal death, although it can be, but I don't mean literal death. I mean death of something, right? And um, so you have a decision you're going to make, and that's when the hard knocks come to teach you a lesson, Right? I mean, if we resist the voice of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit long enough, he'll let, he'll let us walk down that road, and we get the results that that road gets. Now, he'll be right there to pick you back up and pick all the pieces back up and bring redemption back in, but if we're not careful and we give in to temptation, how many of we can mess some stuff up? And how many know God doesn't want that for us? God doesn't want that for our families. God doesn't want that for our ministries. God doesn't want that for us as individuals. How many of as a loving Father, God wants a good life for you, amen? And you know, like, you know, like my kids and stuff like that, and I'm trying to teach them, you know, 
I, there, there, there are times when I, then you'll just be like, okay, if that's what you want to do. You know, you know what I'm saying? And then it's like, and then bam, there you go. And it's like, I told you. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and how many of you know there are moments like that when you're raising kids, right? How many of you know there are moments like that in our lives too? I'll stop being their dad, you know, because they, they, they did something or whatever. I mean, I'm still their dad and they're still my kid, but they just learned a lesson that they could have learned if they just listened to me and followed my instruction rather than giving in to their flesh. Y'all tracking me here? Amen. This is some of that don't shut me down because I'm preaching good type stuff, but it's good, man. It's good stuff. It's where rubber meets the road in daily life, right? Because how I many know if I'd have got mad at that guy and I'd have yelled at him and cussed him out or flipped him off or whatever, and, and how many know people in the day and age we're living in are crazy? And, and you, know, you, you, know, you know, every day you, on the news all the time, you see road rage, somebody got shot. That's the last thing I need as a preacher. Preacher cusses someone out on the road, you know, and, and, and next thing you know, there's a fight on the evening news. You know? It's like, oh, I don't need that in my life. But how many know your flesh will take you farther than what, where you want to go? And so Paul says, I keep my flesh under. You know a great way to keep your flesh under? Fasting. You don't fast to, this, this is not a popular message, but you don't fast to move God. You fast to keep yourself in check. If you're fasting to move God, you don't understand the cross. God already moved. It's all free. It's yours. You're not trying to get God to do something. Fast is not twisting God and saying, oh, look, I'm suffering. Do something for me. That's not the <laughs> dynamic. That's, I did that for years. I did a lot of fasting like that. I fast, I fast three days, 21 days. I did 21 day fasting one time. We, I'm trying to twist God's arm. You know what we got? You know what we got? We got hungry. That's what we got. We got hungry. But we can brag that we fast. No, I'm fasting. I'm suffering. Bunch of self-righteous works. You don't. I know. Me and Dan, we've been through it together. <laughs> We had all the soup fast and everything, boy. I tell you what, I, one, you don't want the depth of my soup. One time I put a piece of cheesecake in a blender and blended it up and called it soup. Because your flesh is crazy. Your flesh is like, you know, I did that. I really did that. I like, this is soup. I mean it with a spoon. Who cares? <laughs> See the steak, liquefied steak. Eating it with a spoon, it's all good. Legalism always finds the loophole, doesn't it? Anyway. Point being, the purpose of fasting will put your flesh in subjection and allow your spirit man to come forth. That's a real thing, and it's a tool, and it'll help you. Uh, but it's not an Old Testament thing where you're in sackcloth and ashes trying to move God. That's not New Testament Christianity. Anyway, um, and so you don't want to give place to the flesh. You don't want to give in to temptation. You want to make a decision to yield to the Spirit of God on the inside of you, Right? And so, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you, you have... This is key right here. But God be thanked that though you were... How many of we were slaves of sin? <clears throat> I mean, you're not called to be slaves of sin any longer. Yet you have obeyed from the heart that... Form of doctrine which was delivered to you. What's he talking about? The gospel. That's the grace of God. That form of doctrine, <clears throat> that teaching of forgiveness and identity, that's what sets you free from the dominion of sin. Legalism does not set you free from sin. It changes sin to you and teaches you how to hide it. 
Because the strength of sin is the law. The, the removing of sin is grace. Amen? If you obey from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you are now become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, and he's referring to his analogy of slavery. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Amen? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you then have in the things which you are now ashamed? He's like, what was the fruit of that stuff? Was it fun? Was it good? I've never seen a truly happy, satisfied drug addict. I've never seen a truly happy, satisfied person in adultery. I've never seen a truly happy, satisfied thief. How many know that, that sin kills? Period. It says, for the end of those things is death. <clears throat> but now, having been set free from sin, become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is that dynamic. How many know there's nowhere where Paul is encouraging a lifestyle of sin? How many are saying, man, it's going to hurt you, it's going to mess you up, stay away from it, amen? Now, we don't have time to, to crack open what I have next. So we're going to stop right there. But I will tell you what we're going to do and what we're going to address next week. You know, what, what, what do you do when you sin? What's, what's your mode of action as a New Testament believer? I mean, you know, Old Testament, you have to go out and find a heifer or, or a sheep or something to sacrifice. I mean, on New Testament, what, what are you going to do? So we're going to teach on 1 John 1.9. And we're, we're, going to teach, we're going to teach on that, and we're going to really dive into it. Um, because I honestly, I believe understanding this will bring a freedom into your life that you've never known. <clears throat> Misunderstanding 1 John 1, 9 can bring some of the greatest bondage any Christian can operate in. Because if you think that, that the basis of your forgiveness on a moment-by-moment -moment timetable is your ability to confess sin then that's all you'll ever do if you're earnest about it. You will constantly be confessing sin because you'll become so sin conscious, you won't even have time to look at Jesus. You'll only be looking at yourself, right? So we're going to dive into that and we're going to take a look at that next week. We're not going to teach that today um, because we just don't have time. It needs to, we're going to dive into it in depth and we're going to let the scriptures uh, teach, right? So we're going to see what we do when we sin. Now, what, how, what do you, how do you handle it? What's your mode of action? So anyway, so we're just going to stop. I will be very careful not to try to overdo it today. So amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. We're also going to look at how you restore someone once they've fallen into sin. Yeah, because that's important to you. You don't hear that title very much in the body of Christ and how what we do once we've sinned. Amen. So that's it. So anyway, praise God. Hope you enjoyed that. I definitely enjoyed teaching it. There is definitely an, uh, an unction on it and an utterance to it. It's something that needs to be taught in the body of Christ. You never hear anybody take a whole message and just put it on this, at least not in grace circles. So anyway, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us that. Uh, so if you need to give them out this morning, lift your hand.